Well, thank you, singers and musicians. God bless you. You may take your seat. But let's all of us stand for another moment. And so we're so delighted that you're here. It's, the rain is pouring in Toronto, but you're here. Some of you came by TTC, the public transportation, and can we give them a big hand? Give them a big hand. I tell you, because looking out the window today, it looked like I don't want to go to church. It had that kind of look, but you're here. And, uh, and you probably had your wipers on full force driving here. At least that's what we did. Let's just thank the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love. I pray that my lips would be on fire with the Holy Spirit to speak words that will penetrate into every heart. For everyone listening to the, those on television, those on Facebook, those on any other media, those in our Bible schools, or those here, I thank you, Father, that you will do something powerful in every believer's heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Give the Lord a big clap if you want to, and, and you may be seated. Make sure everybody is comfortable. God's vision is the world. When Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seed, he explained that parable by saying the field is the world. You could say that Jesus' word is a seed, but the world is the field. Then he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave. That means that God loves every person. Every man, every woman, every boy and every girl. God's vision is not narrow or merely local. God thinks and is interested in the whole world. He loves the world. Because he has a heart of a heavenly father. When Jesus died, he shed his blood. He died and was buried and rose again. Not just for one group of people. Not just for a select religious group or one ethnicity. It was for the world. He told his disciples in Matthew, Go and make disciples of all the nations. I've already quoted Luke, but in uh, Mark, but in Luke he said, it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to die, that there would be a preaching of change of mind, metanoia, repentance, and a preaching of the cancellation of sins, the remission of sins to all people. In John 21, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I was sent. Jesus isn't sent saying, I was a missionary. I'm a missionary. So I send you. God is interested in nations because nations are full of people. So if God loves people, he loves Canada. Why does he love Canada? Because there are 36 million people in this country. But surely if God loves Canada, he loves France with 67 million. He loves Nigeria with 191 million. 
or Brazil with 215 million people or Pakistan with 217 million or, or, or Indonesia with 270 million people. If God loves people, he certainly is interested in the United States because the United States has 329 million people as we approach 2020. But if he loves all those countries, he certainly loves India. India with 1,329,370,000,000 people. How much of God's love and thought and interest is focused on India? What about China with 1,434,000,000 people? In fact, God's interest and God's thought is towards all the 7.7 billion people alive now. He loves the world. God's vision is the world. Many beautiful Christian friends, unfortunately, don't see God's vision. They see a limited, introspective, narrow vision. When they pray, they basically pray for themselves. They say, God, bless me. Bless my family. Bless my work. Bless my paycheck. Bless me. And that's maybe a natural prayer, but it's not God's vision because God's vision is the whole world. Some see a little bit more. They may say when they pray, God bless my church. God bless my neighborhood. God bless my city. That's, I guess, all right. But it's not God's vision. Because God's vision is every person. That's why Jesus died. Others see a greater vision. They may see their country. They may be particularly compelled to pray for their own country so their vision is larger. Or for their continent. Or maybe they pray for the ethnicity that they came from or their own culture. That they see their own world or their own age group. But they don't see God's vision. God's vision is the world. Even many preachers, I have been privileged to know more preachers than most preachers. You know, I spent 16 years traveling, having revival meetings from church to church. And many times I stayed in the homes of preachers. Today, every year, I teach thousands of preachers, face-to-face pastors. And I say with sadness, but it is a fact, that many preachers do not see God's vision. They pray for their own ministry. They pray for their church. They pray for their pulpit. They pray for success in what they are doing, but they don't see it like God sees it. Because to see like God sees is to see the world. Why is it important? Because without a vision, people perish. Without a vision, billions of people now living may never have the opportunity to discover life's deepest purpose, to be unconditionally loved by God. Billions will not have the opportunity to discover this because all they know of deities and, 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 and gods and goddesses is angry and vengeful. Without a vision, 
Billions may never know that their sin and shame and guilt have been put away by one sacrifice once for all. Without a vision, billions may be relegated to to climbing a ladder of religious effort and good works. And they climb a little higher and then they fall down and they climb again and they fall down. Because no one ever told them about the imputed righteousness available through Jesus Christ. Without a vision, billions will never be free from fear and rejection and fear of eternity and fear of death which then propels the need to be condemning and condescending without a vision. Jesus knew that we would be reluctant to see things as he sees them. So he said in John chapter 4 to the disciples, you say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Oh, how this speaks to us. I remember back in nine, late 1980s, 1990, everybody was talking about, you know, by the year 2000, oh, we're going to do a lot to reach the world by 2000. Then when we got closer to 2000, they started to talk about 2020. Oh, 2020. Oh, by 2020, we've all done so much. Well, now 2020 is here. Not many are talking, and if they are, they're talking 2030 or 2040. It's always sometime down the line. And Jesus says, that's what you're doing. You're saying there are four months, and then comes the harvest. But I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white unto harvest. God says harvest time is now. Because God is not willing that any should perish. God laid claim to the world already in Psalms when he said in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all the people that dwell upon it. And in a prophetic conversation between God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, but since we are in Christ, that conversation applies to us. He said in Psalm 2, 8, ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for our possession. Now that's a prayer request worth asking. Isaiah prophesied about this. He says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. You see how the apostle Paul quoted that verse. You know, Jesus exemplifies God's heart for the world. He had a great breakthrough in the town of Capernaum. We read there that the whole town came to hear him. What a time for celebration. The whole town came to receive, and there were many healed. And, and it was so beautiful. Evil spirits came out of people, and, and Jesus was applauded and celebrated. But then we read that the next morning he got up early and went to pray. And the disciples got up a little bit later. And so they were looking for Jesus. And they didn't find him. So they went out of town and they found Jesus eventually. And here is what we read, Mark 1.37. The disciples said to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. 
In other words, Jesus, you're celebrated in the town of Capernaum. You should go back there. That's where your open door is. Don't miss the opportunity. But Jesus said, he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. I've heard preachers say, go where you're celebrated. My friend, if you're going to go where you're celebrated, you cut off vast, vast swaths of planet Earth. Don't go there because you don't go there because you are celebrated. You go there because they don't know the gospel. Too many people just want to go where they are celebrated, where they are clapped for, where they receive an offering, where they have a posh hotel room that somebody pays for them, and a ready-made church. But that wasn't Jesus' attitude. Jesus said, I'm ready for the next person, the next town, the next country, the next people group. And I tell you today, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still has the same concern. There's two stories, two accounts in the scripture where Jesus fed the multitude. One was 5,000, one was 4,000. In each one of the stories, everyone was fed. Everyone was satisfied. And in, in both the stories, it indicates that the disciples were giving out the food. So I want to ask you, can you imagine when Jesus said, sit down in groups of 50 and 100, if those 12 disciples would have gone to the first group and the first row and they gave them bread and fish, bread and fish, bread and fish, and then the first row of the next group, then the first row of the next group, and when they were done that line, that row, they would go back again to the beginning. Give everybody a second helping, second helping, and they were done they would go back to the front row. Surely those in the back rows would have cried out, unrighteous, unrighteous. We are just as hungry as the front row. But this picture that I'm painting, which didn't happen, but I'm saying imagine, it is the story of today. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of preachers only ever prepare beautiful, eloquent sermons for the front row. They feed the front row Sunday after Sunday. And if the truth be told, whether preacher or not preacher, it has never even entered into their wildest fantasy. It has never even entered into their wildest imagination. The other row. God's vision, the world, hasn't even entered their mind because they're, they're concerned. I gotta have something good cooked up for the front row. The ones who've got so much. It's like the rich man in the story. He was too busy to notice the beggar by his gate. Maybe that could be a spiritual application that we are so rich, we are so filled with revelation, we don't even have time to notice the one who has never had one crumb of the bread of life. I will say to you this, my testimony is, I have noticed a great shift in the church, and it concerns me deeply. When I started in ministry, I visited churches of all sizes. I preached in the largest churches in this country. I preached in small churches. And one thing I can say, virtually every church I visited, even if there were 50 people in the church, sometimes 30 people, 
they had a world missions program. The idea was if you don't have a world missions program, what kind of church are you? But today, I go to churches with 10,000 members. They don't have a missions program. They don't have a foreign missions program. Missions to them is just their own geographical area. Missions to them is Saturday morning free pancakes in a low-income neighborhood and a little gospel message. They, they don't look beyond that. It's like all those verses in the scripture about the world. It's, uh, it's passing them by. This is a big temptation because in the large western mega cities and we are such a city that i'm speaking this message in because of migration we have had large people groups come and live in our geographical area people groups that never go to church they don't have television programs with the gospel in their language so the temptation for us now who live in these mega cities is that, that we have beautiful large churches, beautiful fellowships. People come to church and sometimes they have an opinion about the pastor's message and they feel like they should share it by the door because it's so important. But outside, you can live and die and don't know anything. Eloquent sermons, beautifully triumphant praise and worship. People who have Christ living in them, searching to feel his presence as if they were spiritually impotent. Maybe that is the disease. We don't dare to face reality. It's much more comfortable to be an ostrich that hides its head in the sand. I sometimes hear someone say, oh, this group is so much on fire. What does it mean to be on fire for God? Does it mean that you go to church and you kind of jump up and down for 20 minutes on Sunday morning and then go about your life and do the same thing next Sunday? And that fire didn't affect your time, the books you read, how you spend your money. What kind of fire of God is that? That just turns us on when the music is right. But it has no effect on what we choose for our career or what we do with our money or what we study and what we're interested in. You know, so much of what we call church planting is just a pursuit of market share among those who are already born again, trained tithers preferably. Amen. Isn't it great to grow a new church by just getting people coming from another church? At least they've been trained in tithing, so we know we can pay. It's just looking for market shares, like McDonald's trying to cut into Burger King and Burger King into um, Tim Hortons. Well, they're the same company. But anyhow, uh, uh, you know, to Wendy's. My friend, can you imagine... If this is a temptation for us living in the western megacities, how much of a temptation is it when we think of those who live beyond our geographical area? Let me show you the update to where we are at in the world. I have several charts. Put the first chart up there if you would so people can see. 
Right now, as we enter in 2020, here is the situation. About 10% of the world's population consider themselves Jesus followers. That's beautiful. Some of them, you might say, oh, I don't know if they're real Jesus followers. Well, I'm not listening to that. I'm listening. They themselves claim we trust in Jesus Christ. Another 22% are nominal Christian adherents. That would be most of Canada, most of the United States. It would be North and South America, etc. These are people who might go to church once a year, at least sometimes. They would consider it at Christmas. They want to be married in a church. They want to be buried in a church. And you would consider them, if you asked them, what religion do you have, if they're taken into the hospital, if they asked it, they would say Christian. They may never have been to church for 10 years, but, but they're still there. Then you have 39% of the world's population. By the way, my sources are World Christian Encyclopedia, Joshua Project, Operation World, that really, and a number of others that keep you up to date on this. 39% of the world's population, they, are, they live in an area where they would have access to the gospel. In other words, they could hear the gospel. Maybe they've even heard it, but they haven't responded. They haven't responded. But that they could. There is a TV channel they could turn to. Maybe there's a church somewhere, but they haven't responded. And then you have 29% of the world's population, virtually no exposure to the gospel. None. Some of them are in politically restricted areas, but many of them are not. Something could be done if the church had a vision. Look at the chart number two, which shows the, the same thing. There you see the green, the, the orange there's the 10%, the Christ followers, nominal adherents, virtually no exposure, and, and those with access but not responded. Now here is something. Hear me right. Hear me right. 90% of all missionary work. I'm not talking about all church work. I'm talking about missionary work. That little sliver of the church activity that's called missions. 90% of that is done among the 10% and the 22%. So in other words, we are evangelizing those Christ followers and nominal adherents, wherever, wherever those countries are, and those countries would be all of North and South America, from Chile to Mexico, to Canada. It will be the Caribbean islands from Haiti to Trinidad to Jamaica. It will be Europe and across Russia. It would be Southern Africa, like South Africa and Congo and Liberia. They're all countries where the majority are the nominal adherents of Christ's followers. All those countries. Those countries. That's where 90% of all missions work is done. So only 10% of missions work is done in the big pie piece here of 29% and 39%. Who are these people? Well, there's a term we call unreached people group. Put up the, the next chart there for me, please. There are 17,097 different people groups in the world. They are people who are distinguished by culture and, nature, uh, and, and language. Out of those, 7,148 people groups do not have a credible witness of the gospel. They don't have an indigenous church 
that could reach them. It would be like, could be maybe half a percent of believers, but they're so small and scattered, they cannot muster the effort to reach their own people. 9,949 people groups are that red part of the pie. They are people groups. doesn't mean everybody is saved there. It just means that, that they live in a people group. If they live in Canada, they live here, and they have access to the gospel. Where do these unreached people groups live? Let me just give you some of them. There are many of them. India is number one. Total number of ethnicities in India is 2,605. China, 544. Pakistan, 440. Bangladesh, 328. Nepal, 275. And in each one of those countries, a very small group of those languages have heard the gospel. People are shocked by this. It's not shocking to me. I've been to these countries. You take Pakistan, for example. You can have a bunch of Christians get together there. But they all come from the same language group. There are hundreds of other language groups that haven't been touched. And Jesus said the vision is the world. So I think we'll have one more chart right here. Put that up. This is what we call the 1040 window. That's the 10th northern parallel to the 40th northern parallel. And I give you here in those there's 67 countries in that rectangle. 5,984 of the unreached people groups are there. And five out of six out of all people who are unreached live in that area. Do you know that 60% of the world lives in Asia? Asia. Some people don't realize that Africa, Europe, and South and North America combined doesn't have as many people as Asia does. Have you heard the cry? You can take that down from the second row. People who have never heard the gospel. They don't know their sins have been put away. They don't know that they're destined for eternal life because of Christ's eternal victory. They don't know that. I've met many of them face to face. You know, there's another occasion where Jesus was preaching and teaching. He was out healing the sick, and he says he healed all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, every kind of sickness. And he said the crowd was gathering, and he was teaching and preaching, and then he says he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And this is what he said to the disciples. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers into his harvest. See this? He says there's a crux of the problem here. It's not the people themselves that's the problem. The crux of the problem is the laborers are few. And the apostle Paul echoed those sentiments in Romans 10, when he said, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. It's an urgency. Labors are few. And yet, we have so many excuses. You know, let me just talk about one thing, and I thank God for our church, but I'm not speaking just to the Toronto Celebration Church. I, you who are here, you understand that? For example, one of the common things that people say in, in churches that practice tithing, such as we do, it is commonly said the tithe belongs to the local church and missions offerings are extra. What a devilish lie. Maybe we should say, the tithe belongs to the local church, but salaries for pastors and staff are extra. 
Or maybe we should say the tithe belongs to the local church. But building expenses are extra. It's only if you feel led to give something for the building. We'll all be meeting out in the snowstorm here. Why have we made this thing about, oh, oh, you know, local church, I get all the money, become real fat. And missions is like if you feel led to do a little something. And most don't even have a program and a plan. That's why from the beginning of this church I said, no, we will incorporate foreign missions to at least a minimum 10% of everything we give. And it's not much, 10%, but it's a start. It's, it's, it's just as much as part of it as well, the building is in the church anyhow. So we could really start talking in this way about the building. If we want. Why is this? Why is this sinister conspiracy from hell to make people degrade and consider unimportant and relegate to a lesser value the very thing that Jesus told us to do. The Holy Spirit came to empower God's vision. Jesus said, you shall receive power. Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This has been a misquoted verse. People say, well, see there, Jesus said it, we need to reach our Jerusalem first. And then when we reached our Jerusalem, we'll go to Judea and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Wait a moment, that's not what Jesus said. And in fact, none of them would have ever left Jerusalem if that was the case because there was never a time when everybody in Jerusalem had received the gospel. So what does the verse say? It says, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. It doesn't say first Jerusalem, then, then, then. It means we do it all at once. The person who I admire so much, Oswald J. Smith, who preached along this line, I'm sure, many times years ago in the People's Church, great church in this city, he used to say that the light that shines the farthest also shines brightly at home. And we believe that. We have a light that's shining from this church and through the partnership of World Impact Ministries is shining across the world, but we want to shine bright, and we are shining at home also. You, you, you see, here, here, go ahead and give a clap if you want to. Every time that Jesus spoke about reaching the world, every time, he added that the Holy Spirit will give you power. When he said in Luke 24, when he talked about why Christ suffered and died, he said, but wait, 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 wait. You will receive power. Mark 16, going to preach the gospel, and he says, but, but wait. You will speak with other tongues. And they went out and they laid hands on the sick and they were healed. He said, the Holy Spirit will work with you. You see, because the Greek word for power here is dunamis, it means dynamite. That's what we talk about. What we have in the Holy Spirit is spiritual dynamite to cure spiritual impotence and take us out of a dreary, boring religious existence into a fruitful work where we are saying the world is our commission. You see, without involvement with the gospel, our Holy Spirit experience stagnates. When we go to Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee, flourishing, full of fish. Fishermen are still there. 
like they were in the days of Jesus Christ and the disciples. They're fishing. And then you go to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is being reduced year by year. I've been going to Israel long enough that I can go to a little cafe that was built right on the shore of the Dead Sea, and now it's a mile and a half to the shore. What's the difference? The difference is that the Sea of Galilee has an inflow of water and an outflow. While the Dead Sea has only an inflow and no outflow, well, it loses some water through condensation, and that's what causes the saltiness. But that's a picture. See, nature set it up in such a way that to have a healthy body of water, there should be an inflow and an outflow. That's a picture of the believer. If we just have inflow of the Holy Spirit, if our Christian life is going to meetings to be prayed for and I need to give you an impartation, you get in so many impartations, you become like the Dead Sea, all cranky and salty and bitter. All those impartations don't help you at all. You're just getting imparted to and imparted to and more people, preachers, are rubbing their hand on your forehead than you can count. Oh, I needed that impartation. You needed that like a hole in the head. What we need is an outflow. Outflow. Without outflow, we become like the Dead Sea. You see, I say like this, I think I got it on the PowerPoint. Without the Great Commission, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is at best a self-focused experience and at worst a bless-me club. It's just like, oh, I spoke in tongues. I feel blessed. Big deal. Go and enjoy yourself somewhere. But having said that, the Great Commission without the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a cruel assignment destined for failure. He says, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. He said, that's why you need to wait. Notice what Jesus said, you need to wait till you got the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can pray better. Actually, he didn't say that. And I don't doubt that you pray better with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't say, oh, wait to pray. No prayers till you receive the promise of the Father. He didn't say, oh, wait, no giving, no Bible study, no fellowship. He didn't say that. Although I'm sure the Holy Spirit helps all those areas, Right? What he said was, there's just one thing. You can pray, you can do all kinds of things, but there's one thing for which you need, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, and that is to bring the gospel to the world. And everybody is called, every person, every believer, this Oh, you know, somebody, there's so many excuses. I want to write a whole book about the excuses. Somebody said, oh, well, you know, Pastor Peter, you know, we are many members. And they were using this in this context. I said, do you think the Apostle Paul wrote that verse about that there are many members in one body to excuse 99.9% from the ministry of reconciliation? Do you really think that? Or do you think he was saying, yes, we have different functions. Not everybody does what I'm doing or somebody else is doing, but, but our purpose is all the same. We are all in the ministry of reconciliation. And so, yes, we are many different members, but we are one body, but we have one purpose. And whether you go to the front, forefront, or whether you stay by the stuff, as King David said it, we are equally rewarded. That's why I say to partners and friends, when you send someone to do something great in the world and you can't go for whatever reasons, you may have family, work obligations, you can't do that or that's not, that's not in you, but you're making it possible. You receive the same reward. Oh, that's a good time to, to clap. 
You know, on the day of Pentecost, the first sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was they spoke in tongues and magnified the Lord. It's beautiful, but it wasn't the greatest sign. The great sign was that they were filled with the love of God, overflowing by the Spirit to take the gospel to everyone. It's like you come driving into Toronto. You come on one of the highways or one of the roads. You'll come to, maybe you come from somewhere way up north, some rural area, by, you know, up in the northern part, and you're driving to Toronto. You're so excited. I'm going to get to the big Toronto city. And then here on the highway somewhere it says, Metropolitan Toronto, and it gives the population. You get so excited, you jump out of the car with your family, you bring out your picnic basket that you brought from, you know, northern Ontario somewhere or the Northwest Territories, and you just put out a blanket right there by the highway hoping the police is not going to see you, and you drink your hot chocolate and you have your sandwiches and say, look at that, isn't it an amazing family? We have been to Toronto, we know it now. Let's turn around, take the first exit, go back, and head back up to the Northwest Territory somewhere, and we can tell everybody we know all about Toronto we've been there we've seen it we've seen it we're here and then you take a picture there's a sign metropolitan Toronto you get the whole family standing there and say let's take a photo let's take selfies so we can see we've been that's how many Christians are they spoke a little few words in tongues and felt a little sh shiver and a jitter and say, oh I got it I got it my friend this is for much more than a shiver and a jitter this is to give us power to take the gospel to the world are we ready to say yes to God's vision? Isaiah said yes. Here I am, send me. Paul said yes. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Jesus said four things. He said, look. Look at the harvest. Everybody can do that. Everybody can take the blinders off and say, I'm going to look. At least I'm going to dare to look. He said, pray, and everybody can do that. And then he said, go. Maybe every, you can go somewhere. You, can, you can, can take someone with you to a church meeting. You can, you, you can share with somebody, but not everybody can go away from their place where they are. And again, to quote my person I admire, Oswald J. Smith used to say, go or send a substitute. And that's what Paul referred to. He says, you know, how can they hear unless they have a preacher, but how can the preacher go? Unless he's sent. Send the light. Send the light. And so, you know, I've been at this for decades, more decades than I care to remember. Some of your church family know how old I am, so don't start guessing. I'm not telling it to the world on Facebook. But for decades, I've been at this. And then, the Lord spoke to me that we would accelerate. Last year he spoke to me. You're not getting into a new phase. You're going to accelerate and take the church with you, take the partners. We have partners all over the world, certainly across Canada. And so we do that. And that might happen for a few months, but we're accelerating. We, we have a vision for the world. We will soon be starting our sixth Bible school campus. I would like to also have campuses in the Chinese world, in Israel or somewhere in the Middle East, in the Philippines, in Pakistan, in India, and other places. 
You say, well, that's more than 10 already, Peter. Yeah, I know, I just said 10, 10 strategic campuses is the first step. I didn't say I would end when we got to 10, did I? Come on, you read too much into it. We're sending out workers. Dean, who's here, just arrived from Indonesia this morning, just conducted a campaign. I'm so glad. And, and Jacob is doing it. Now others are doing it. We have a man who comes from a cannibal family. His grandfather was a cannibal, helped eat some of the first missionaries that came to that part of the world. Now he is on staff with World Impact Ministries. Oh, come on, somebody get excited. Yeah. We, 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 but, but the problem is laborers. Laborers. Money is not easy, but it comes. But labor. Who could head up a campus? Where are the administrators? Are the, let me talk to you. I want to rally people. What about retired people? Maybe you have administrative skills. Maybe you can help us. But 10 Bible school campuses don't happen by themselves. They have to be administrated. Their curriculum set, their tests, their exams, their diplomas, their certificates, the selection of people to be sent out into missionary service. People say, well, I can help out. Well, there's a lot of people who can help out. Can somebody take charge? Can somebody say, here am I, send me? Maybe. Or maybe you say, I'm not a retired person, but I'm ready to go. What about busy families with children? Talk to your children about world missions. I ordered from Amazon. It arrived, and I will bring it in on tomorrow. I have ordered two special little offering receptacles that look like globes for the children's department. I'm tired of our children's department not giving money for missions. They should train the meal. Pastor, if you ever have your kids in church, don't give them a quarter to give. Give them the $100 bill. Let them feel it. Let them feel it. Don't say, I'm going to give 100 here, a big check, or we'll write a check for 100 or $1,000. Give that to your five-year-old. Let them look at it and put it in the envelope, and let them put it in. And you give the quarter or the loony or the toony. Let them get the right idea of who we are. We are world people. Youth. I've challenged our youth that this preacher, I want our youth department to take an offering every single week. And I heard they did it here when they had the afternoon service. That was cheating. They were supposed to do it in their own services, not with the whole church supporting them. I want them to support the man who came from a cannibal family. He lives in a fairly, he doesn't need all that much, but I think our youth department could support his evangelistic endeavor if they took an offering every week. They can do it. Get involved. What do you think we're here for? Coffee? Entrepreneurs, where are you putting your money? Some people say, oh, I have everything I need. You never have everything you need. As long as there's these billions of people. Look, at, I got another map for you. Look at, look at this map. I said, dare to look. You see that? See that? That's a world map. You see those red dots? There's 50 red dots. Each dot represents uh, the 50, one of the 50 largest people groups without the gospel right now. Some of them have like 50 million in the group, but they're all over 10 million. Every one of those represented people group of 10 million or more that don't have the gospel. 
And you say, oh, I don't need any more. I've been an entrepreneur. Oh, we got enough. We got enough for our retirement. Come on, have some fun. Live a life. I think of my friend who went to be with the Lord, Eugene McFadden. When he retired from the post office, they offered him retirement or he could stay on for a few years. And he said to me, well, if you need me as a partner, I'm staying on in the New Brunswick post office. I'm going to stay and work as long as they have me because I can give more to World Impact Ministries. I can give more to missions if I stay in the post office. Now he's gone to be with the Lord. And great is his reward. That's a hardcore person. That's a person who say, I'm ready to go with this. My friend, God is calling. We have a purpose. We have a purpose. We are people with a purpose. I say to pastors and spiritual leaders, I talk to them all the time, all over the world. Once I get around to the third day in our seminar, I talk to them, what are you doing for the unreached people in your city? What, what, some of them are so afraid, they're afraid, oh, what if the young person go out and they, they go do something, you know, and God blesses them too much, and they, they you know, then they, everybody knows, no, I'm the pastor. You know, some pastors, they just want to have all the anointing for themselves. But I say, you take it all and run with it. Because there's plenty, because it's Christ's anointing anyhow. And friend, I want to end this on something, and it's been all positive, but I want to say, remember what it says in Revelation chapter 7, that we win this. Because John saw a vision. He saw how it all ended up. He said, I saw a crowd that no man can number out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, every ethnicity, including these people groups. I saw them before the throne of God. God, worshiping Jesus Christ so we win we win we win and I'm speaking this message now not because I just discovered I've lived by this very much but I notice there's hardly a voice speaking it anymore even what we call missions is often just a duplication of the kind of work that our government's already doing. Without a vision, people perish. We don't want anyone to perish, not knowing that they're loved, not knowing the God whose hands are outstretched to them, live a life where their whole life was one big perishing from birth to death not knowing that they're loved, struggling. And the compelling force is the love of Christ. I want everyone to bow your head with me right now. And certainly all of you here who say, I don't have peace with God today. I'm not assurance that my sins are forgiven. I want to pray with you first. I'm going to pray several prayers. So I'm going to move very quickly. But if you say, Peter... I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want peace with God. I want to be one of those who are included in this purpose. Would you lift your hand way up high right now? If you say, that's me, that's me. Beautiful, beautiful. God bless you. We thank you, Father, for salvation and new life for every person. I pray for those who are watching me on Facebook right now, those who may be watching on some other platform. I thank you for the light and the salvation of God touching every person. Amen. Now, in a moment, we're going to celebrate our oldest member of this church who's turning 105 years old, but not yet. I want everybody to stand first. I am here on a mission from the Lord today, and I want to ask you how many can say that God has spoken to your heart, either in one of the following ways. Either you say, I want to from this moment 
take God's vision more serious. I want to have more focus on that. I, it doesn't mean you're going to change anything or go anywhere or do anything. I, I want to ask, how many feel like that? I, I feel like God is speaking to me. To, I, I get a more understanding. I got it in a concentrated way, and I embrace that. If, you, if that's you, lift your hands all over. I, I want, there are many of you. Beautiful. Now, are there some of you who are saying like this, number two? You know, I'm not saying I'm going to go anywhere or I'm going to change or I'm going to, you know, head up one of the Bible school campuses or go out and preach like that, but I would be willing. And I'm in a place in my life where I am, I am willing to do whatever, if there was an opportunity for me to do, I am willing to say, Lord, here am I, send me. So if you're in that category, lift your hand way up high if you say like that. All right, now I'm going to ask everybody who has lifted your hand for any of these two reasons, would you come and stand right here? I want to pray with you, and the reason I want you to come forward is because I want to look at you very closely. I, I, this is a very personal prayer for me. You could be a senior citizen. You're 90 years old, and you say, it's too late. It's not too late. Look at Mama Samuel. She's 105. She's been serving God for 15 years beyond 90. So who, who knows? Who knows? And she's still kicking. I tell you, she's a beautiful example. If you say, God is talking to me, I want to either, I want to take this more serious, I want to get involved, whatever, would you come right now? I'm going to just pray with you. It takes two minutes, but I want you to run down here quickly right now. Run down here quickly. If you would be available for any special assignments, some of you have jobs and you can't do that. Or some of you say, I'm willing to change my job, but that's a different thing. I want us to pray right now. I want you to lift up your hands all over this room right now. And, if you, and, and I want you to lead you in a prayer. I want you to say like this. Others, if you're still coming, keep coming. Would you say like this? Lord, here am I. I'm available. Send me. I don't ever want to be disobedient to the heavenly vision. Thank you, Lord, that you put this into my hands. And I am willing, little or much, Whatever I have, I put it at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for working through me. I'm available. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, lift your hand and give Jesus praise right now. Give Jesus praise right now. Give Jesus praise. Give Jesus praise. Hallelujah. I just want to look at you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I don't take it that the others are not touched by this. Of course you are. We are all in church together. Now, if some of you say, I would be willing to do something more, I'm going to ask you to sign a little card. Is Dean here, or did he fall asleep after his mission trip? <laughs> Dean, go and get me those white cards that we use when we go on tour. And, and then let me know what's happening. Those on Facebook, you can call in. But I want you to go to your seat right now. I just want to look at you, young and old here. And we need all ages, in fact. We need an all My perplexity is always, well, who do we send? We're starting a new campus. They say, anybody who can administrate, anybody can go. I, and those of you who can't go, how many are willing to say, I'm going to support? How many are glad that we are reaching out to the world? You know, I feel like sometimes our, minister, our ministry is like a flyweight boxer in the ultra heavyweight division. And we're getting knockouts. Come on now. That's what, that's what we're doing. And so you are helping make that happen. We're going to receive our monthly missions offering. I've never in my life, in this church or any other church, preached an entire sermon on missions like I have today. So I'm not doing because it's a missions offering. I even forgot that it was a missions offering. I'm doing it because God told me 
to do this. So that's why I'm doing it. But it just so happens to be our mission Sunday. We don't sit around in little rooms conniving this or that. That's not how this ministry operates. You can take that somewhere else. But what we are saying is we need money. We need money to make it happen. Hallelujah. And so our six campus will launch, but I want seven, eight, nine, and ten. I don't know what countries will be next. I know if we start one in Jerusalem, you all want to go to that one, so I'm not sure. I might have to start it up the road somewhere, but we want to, we want to go in all those other countries I mentioned. All right, so go ahead and take it, give an offering envelope right now. Dean, would you come with those cards, Dean? But the ushers give an offering envelope right now, and we're going to give our missions offering to send the light of Jesus uh, to the world. Now, we'll just do one thing. Just sit right here. Sit here for a moment. Uh, 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 just, just to go ahead and make everybody have that. And there's a reason why I asked Dean to sit here and get these cards. Okay, these, these will be fine. Uh, okay, okay. So we just thank God for this. Father, I thank you for money dedicated to world missions. Lord, all the money we see collected in the New Testament, it was to propel the church to take the gospel further. So I thank you for everybody who steps into that blessing where Jesus said, when we do it for Jesus and his gospel, we get a maximum yield. So I thank you, Father, right now for a maximum yield. I thank you, Father. And I thank you for our church having incorporated this into its uh, overall outreach. I thank you for that. Help us to do much better, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So give with great joy. Amen. Come on up here, singers and musicians. I need you up here. And uh, we're going to just rejoice. Jermaine, come on up here. And we're going to sing and rejoice. How many enjoyed yourself today or not enjoyed yourself? How many say that you got something to think about? This is what we're here for. And, 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 and in all of that, you'll be so busy seeing God work for you that you don't even have time to pray for your own headache. It'll get healed automatically. See, that's what happens. People, people get so busy for the gospel, they forget about the slip disc. And all of a sudden, it was healed. And it's not even get prayed for because you were focused on an outflow to others, giving out to others. And that's the way it just happened for you. You know, when Job prayed for his friends, God healed him. If he got to pray for himself.